Welcome to Simple Truth Love, a place where we talk about self-leadership, self-care, and self-love. With the hope that our self-help conversations might inspire you to look at fundamental well-being practices. Here, we'll dissect powerful words and explore how those words can enable or disable us from being our best selves. And contemplate things together that make us be the best we can be. Hi, I'm Cindy Bradshaw. And I'm Rochelle Doyle. And today, our guest is Lisa Quitzgard. Lisa is a human rights activist and has been married for over 30 years. She's also a mom of three incredible young adults. Welcome, Lisa. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's such an honor to be a guest on your amazing podcast. Well, we're so excited to talk to you today. And Lisa has chosen the word empathy. And in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, we are looking at how empathy plays a role in mental health. The definition we will use today is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Lisa, why did you choose empathy as a word to dissect today? Yes. When Cindy approached me and said, we ask our guests to choose a word and we're focusing on mental health, right away I knew my word. Empathy to me means the ability to understand another person's thoughts and feelings in a situation from their point of view and a lived experience rather than my own. But it's grounded in this authentic, compassionate human connection. And I feel when we talk about mental health, the people that are suffering in the moment feel so misunderstood and alone. Mm. And if we can make that human connection with them through empathy, we can help them get over the dark cloud that they're in at that moment. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Cindy and Rochelle? I think that we really need to spread the messages that we all need help at different times in our life. And asking for it is really powerful. I feel that everyone experiences highs and lows in life, and we need to prioritize our mental health just as much as we prioritize our physical health, especially in this country. I think physical health is talked about a lot, but mental health, not so much. And I think it takes a ton of strength to ask for help, and it should be looked at as a strength and not a weakness. What about you, Rochelle? Yeah, I think practicing empathy can lead to behavior that extends more grace and kindness. and that leads to a better world. When I remember to go beyond myself, then I can remember that somebody else is going through something that I don't even know about. Everybody is, right? And that makes the person that cut me off on the road, it makes me a little less bothered by them. Yes, definitely. I think that when we look at the word empathy and we study it, Brene Brown comes to my mind because she talks about how Empathy fuels connection, whereas sympathy drives disconnection. And the point is that if you're with a friend or someone who's in a dark place, maybe in a dark hole, and you shout down to the friend, hey, let me get down there with you and be next to you. I may not understand exactly what you're going through, but I felt alone too. And I felt afraid before too. And so I want to be here with you in this moment. Hmm. Whereas a sympathy approach would be more, hey, oh, that looks pretty frightening down there. Come on out. Let's go get a glass of wine. Because you want to avoid the vulnerable feeling 
of having to make that personal connection with the pain that your friend's feeling that you've experienced at some point in your life too. So sympathy is an avoidance, whereas empathy is a connection to that feeling. That's really helpful. It's so important. To me, it's about not feeling alone, feeling like someone's walking with you. I think many times people think in a crisis situation, they need to come up with solutions for the person. And it's more about being with the person so they don't feel alone. I definitely agree with that. I think that a lot of times we have to remember that rarely a response makes something better. Let's say someone says, I'm really struggling right now. I just had a miscarriage. A sympathetic response would be, well, at least you got pregnant and you know you can get pregnant again. Or I'm really struggling right now in my marriage. Well, hey, at least you have a husband and you have a marriage to try to work on. So the connection is actually not having a response or a solution, but just being with the person in the moment. And that making a connection is what's going to make it better, not just a response. So Lisa... You've been involved with the crisis text line since 2014, so for about eight years. How did you get involved with the crisis text line and how has this work impacted your views on mental health? Actually, I'm such a proud volunteer of crisis text line and we call ourselves actually empathy MVPs. And the reason is that crisis text line practices empathy and reflective listening, which makes me a better friend, a better wife, a better parent, partner, and actually an employer and employer. And the reason I got involved, to be honest, is my daughter was struggling with mental health and she came to me in high school and shared with me her struggles. And I was just clueless. I didn't know where to turn to. I didn't even understand what depression was. And so to be frank, I didn't handle it quite well. I got her help, but I didn't respond to her in the way that I wish I would have now, knowing what I know. I feel like my daughter at the time, being a teenager, you know, you start to pull away from your parents naturally anyway. She didn't share a lot of it with me, her daily struggles. And so as a parent who was always there for my kids my whole life, I felt very helpless in the situation. And I came across Crisis Text Line in the editorial column in our local newspaper. Somebody. I think it was in Winters, California, was doing this crisis text line. And I was like, wow, that's a way I can help people like my daughter who don't have a parent or somebody that they feel that they can confide in. They can confide in these counselors through texting. What a great way for me to help someone else build this platform, which was pretty new at the time, and make it available to everyone in our country of all ages. Of course, we were targeting young people at the time, but it's really available to everyone. So it's just my way of learning more about mental health so that I could help my daughter and also giving back to others since I kind of felt helpless in helping her. I just love how you took a situation in your own life and reached out to help other people to learn more. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Lisa, why do you think it's important to be empathetic towards mental health issues and discuss them? I think it's very important to show that the person that's struggling in the moment, that you validate their feelings, that you truly honor their story and their experiences, and that you see their pain from their perspective. I think when you have empathy towards someone else's suffering, it makes them feel not so alone. And it gives them hope that they too can come out of that despair. I really agree. 
in reading about some of the statistics about mental health, we noted that 46% of people are struggling through something. And often it feels alone because mental health issues aren't a great social connector. But sometimes knowing that you aren't alone is a bit of a help to get you into the right direction, whether it's seeking medical advice or treatment or whether it's recognizing that you have a toxic cycle and you need to break up with that. I definitely agree with that. The issues that the texters share with us as crisis counselors are often deeply personal and urgent. And we've known through data, we found out that 68% of our texters share something with us that they've never shared with anyone else. So giving them this opportunity to just release that emotion, that fear, whatever's just plaguing their mind, it's such a gift that we can so easily give to someone by being an active listener. And I do want to make this really important point that I think it's important to share with a friend or a family member that's struggling that they can reach out for support because you don't have to go through hard things alone. And reaching out is a very brave thing to do. But you also being the one that's trying to help your friend, you don't have to do it all alone either. Mm. There's resources out there and it's okay if it becomes overbearing. Your cup may run out too. So validating that's okay. And it's okay for you to reach out for help and share a resource because by sharing a resource, you're still showing up for that person in your life. Yeah. When I was probably about 24 years old and I was a human resource manager for a department store, I had a woman come up to the window and say, I feel like I'm going to kill myself to me, which was just like this heart stopping moment. What do I do? How do I help this person? And I just had to take a deep breath and think like, what would I want in this situation? And so I said, thank you for telling me you're not alone. I sat down with her. I said, we need to get you help. Like, let's brainstorm together how we can do this because I had no resources. And okay, I've heard their suicide, you know, hotlines. Let's go in this back office together and we'll call the suicide hotline. They might have tools for us. And with the suicide hotline, they just were amazing. And they sent somebody right over to the department store to really support this woman. And it wound up being an experience for the both of us. And I think it is so important, Lisa, what you mentioned that we don't have all the answers and we can't assume that we have all the answers. Just being there for somebody and having them recognizing, first of all, that what they did was really brave by coming and telling someone and it was important to do and that it's okay. And there's a lot of people out there to help you. Yeah. That's such a beautiful story, Sydney, really, because it's exactly what you did was empathy at its finest. And we're all capable of doing that. Some of us are innate and empathy comes easy, but all of us can learn. It's a muscle we can exercise and we can learn and we can put it into action. I think that's really helpful for me to hear because I don't think empathy is my gut reaction with people. And maybe it's a little bit of culture. Maybe it's a little bit of who I am anyways, but it's sometimes hard for me when people are sharing their woes. My perception is often, okay, if somebody's dying, if something is gravely wrong, then I can see where there's space for you to feel the feelings. And a lot of the times I judge people and say, well, that's not a big deal. Like, get over it. This is a lot. 
But I think for me, one of the big things that I've already learned is maybe sending people towards that crisis line as an option or sending them to seek medical advice because I think that I am a person whose cup might not have as much space for holding space for people. That's terrible. Oh. No, I think that's important to recognize, though, that not everyone has those skill sets and not everyone's automatically going to go to that empathy place. So what can you put in place for yourself that when you're in those situations, you're honoring the person you're with and also getting them the help that they need? It's important. I agree. And I actually admire you sharing that with us, Rochelle, because I think it's a vulnerable thing to say. I tend to judge people first because quite honestly, most of us do. And even though I've practiced empathy and I've trained in it and I've learned it and I'm so good at it when I'm on the crisis line, putting into practice in my daily life, it's not as easy because we all fall back to old habits. Mm -hmm. But I think the idea is knowing you can learn it and you can try better next time or you can catch yourself in the middle and go, oh, I'm being sympathetic. I'm trying to avoid this pain. I'm not connecting with them. And then you can step back and get into it again. We're not always going to do it right every time, but just being aware that there is a way to do it, I think is very helpful and will make a difference. Yeah, it is. And when I think about it, I think about it from the perspective of growing up. We were taught that you don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. We don't create space for these emotions. So now in my life, I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? Why are you bringing these emotions towards me? We don't do that, remember? And there's an opportunity to kind of break up with that. Absolutely. In fact, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that that was my inclination when my daughter came to me was my job as your mom. And I've made it my whole life mission was for you to have this happy life. So if you're not happy, then I must have failed. And in fact, what we want to do as parents is give our children the freedom to feel all the feelings, the joy, the happy, the sadness, the excitement, the despair, because when you're allowed to feel it all, then you're really free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm a big advocate for teaching emotions to young children. That really needs to be a part of our educational system and We have this happiness culture where everything is supposed to be happy and life isn't happy all the time. And you do have highs and lows and you have good days and you have bad days. And all of that is part of life. And I think it's a really important message to young people that they don't have to be happy all the time and they can have a bad day and they can feel sad. And all of those things lead to living a more meaningful, happy existence because you're accepting where you're at. Yeah. Absolutely agree with that, Cindy. I think that on the subject of why we do what we do in the show, for me, one of the main reasons why this work is important to my daily life is because who I become when I don't have these practices in place. My whole existence is somebody who will spiral and will lean towards addiction, whether it's drinking too much or whether it's being too busy at work or whether it's just when you hyperfixate on one thing and then you don't let up for a long time, I will go into toxic traits unless, and I can look through all the words that we've kind of explored and this one included, unless I've got these practices in my life where I'm meditating, where I'm eating right, where I'm sleeping better. You know, all of these practices help because if I'm not engaged in them, then I do start that habit wheel 
of self-destruction and my brain goes into the dark place more. Yes, yes, absolutely. So Lisa, can you tell us a little bit more about the crisis text line? And if I needed to reach out to them, what would I expect? Sure. Crisis text line found that there was a void in reaching young people because yes, Suicide Hotline is an amazing organization, but so many young people don't know how to dial and pick up a phone anymore. And that's very (laughs) frightening to them. True. But boy, their little magic fingers can get into action on that texting. So when Crisis Text Line was invented, the idea was let's make it more accessible to people that feel safer texting. And also with texting, you know, there's no voice. So you could be crying hysterically, but nobody hears you. You could be in a whole room full of your 12-year-old friends at a sleepover and in a crisis and getting help and nobody has to know you're reaching out for help. So it's such a valuable tool to reach so many people in different ways. But basically how it works is you text. There's different numbers, but the most common one is 741-741 and get sent out to crisis text line counselors that are waiting to receive these callers. And then we just are there to help you process what you're struggling with. And it's anonymous. We don't know your name unless you want to share it with us. We don't know where you're calling from. We don't even have your number. We're just there to listen, actively listen to you, hear your perspective on what's bothering you, take you from a hot moment to a cool moment. That's really our job is to make sure you're safe before we end our text message stream with you. And hopefully leave you with a resource that you can reach out to later if you need one. And to just let you know that someone cares, someone's there for you. And we truly do. And it's quite rewarding as a crisis counselor to be there for these people that are struggling in their darkest moments. When you're talking, I'm thinking about two things. Number one, I just looked up how many people used the crisis text line. And is this true? People in crisis initiated over 1.44 million conversations with crisis text line wow. in the United States in 2020. That's huge. huge. So there's an opportunity to have this resource for people, but also for people who are driven towards empathy to volunteer because there's probably a need, especially emerging out of this pandemic and everything else that's going on in the world. I bet there were more spikes too during the pandemic in these calls. Mm-hmm. So Lisa, I understand that people living with suicidal thoughts or behavior think of calling possibly the suicide hotline. However, there's a lot of people that are feeling really unsafe because they're in school and somebody is not making them feel safe and they need to talk to somebody. And I think the crisis text line really helps with a lot of issues. So can you give us a sense of some of the types of issues that you hear from people about? Yes, Cindy, thank you for bringing up that point. So we get a wide range of calls. We get everything from just my best friend is not talking to me today and it's making me really sad and feeling left out to bullying questions, a lot of LGBTQ plus people not feeling safe even at home with friends. We get a lot of calls from immigrants being afraid. We got a lot of calls on Asian hate. I mean, when different laws are being enacted, people are scared, just different crises that people are experiencing. And every single one of them counts and every single one of them deserves to be heard and validated. And that's what Crisis Text Line is all about. It's so important and so impactful that people know there's a place to go 
for any crisis and that it doesn't have to be a certain thing. It's kind of like that thought when you call 911, like, is this a 911 emergency? Is it not a 911 emergency? But there's a place, the crisis text line that can help you with whatever crisis is a crisis to you, which is different for every person. And I'm still struggling with if I can or how I show up for people that are going through things when my culture and how I was raised is rooted in just get back up, just suck it up, just do it. People are going to treat you differently. You just have to go through this. So it's a challenge for me. Michelle, that is so real. And I'm all here for it. And so I want to encourage you to just stand with them and share a resource. Even if you want to be the best listener in the world, your cup may run out too. And validating that it's okay to reach out for help by sharing your resource is a great way to show up for the people in your life. Lisa, what do you wish our society did more of to support mental health awareness? I would just like to state that I was so impressed with the State of the Union address from President Biden because I felt that he said loud and clear that mental health is health. And I'd like to say that one more time. (laughs) Mental health is health Mm -hmm. and health impacts all Americans across the political spectrum. All creeds, all races, all genders. And this is not only a really historic moment for us, for this country, but it's been far too long because mental health care has lived on the fringes of the medical mainstream. And this administration has pledged $700 million to invest in mental health infrastructure. And I'm all for it. So that would be my first thing I would say. Thank you, President Biden. And thank you for those that vote in favor of helping those suffering from mental health because mental health is health. What do you guys think? I think absolutely. I know from family members who've sought counseling services and mental health services in this country that it's not easy. You have to almost have a lot of money in order to secure the right therapist or counselor and that has to change. And I think with society, it's really important to understand mental health is something that you don't see. So you don't know who's struggling. You don't know the people who are having the greatest struggles on the inside. It's not something you're going to, you know, you think you'll see somebody walking around and you'll know that is not true. You don't know who's struggling. So I think it's really important for us to I'll be kind to human beings and care for one another and realize that if somebody rushed you off one day, it's probably not personal. It's probably a struggle that they're having that you know nothing about and lead from that point of view. What do you think, Rochelle? Yeah, I think on the subject of healthcare, when you were talking about that, Lisa, I reflected on two things. Number one, my therapist is expensive. I pay out of pocket and it's also my most worthy bill because that's what enables me to be, to show up every day. And maybe it shouldn't be my most expensive bill (laughs) from a society standpoint, right? So I wish that there was more support for that. And then another thing, when I was younger, much younger, I was diagnosed with depression and it went on my medical health record and I wasn't able to get health insurance for a while when I was looking to re-up. It was a blocker or if I could, they added like tons of fees. So when you think about how it impacts people, that encourages people to not show up. And I don't know if it's still that way because this is over 20 years ago. The other thing I would say from a society standpoint is just to destigmatize a lot of the perceptions about mental health and really, I think, sharing data 
that show how many people go through things is hugely helpful. And I'm also grateful for, this sounds cheesy, but I'm grateful for people on TikTok or people like Pete Davidson that fully come out and just say, look, here's where I am. And it's poking light, but it's also bringing a sense of normalcy that didn't exist before and something that we weren't allowed to talk about previously. Yeah, I definitely agree that we've got to get rid of the shame around mental health so that we can be open and share our stories. Mm -hmm. And I would wanted to add that Crisis Text Line is collaborating with Nike and we'll have some links, I think, that I've shared with Cindy and Rochelle with some great other podcasts and ways to show you the athletes out there too struggle and they want to share their truth Mm. and they want to show you that as hard as they work on their physical bodies, they have to work on their mental stamina in order to be the athletes that they are and that we all deserve the right to have a healthy body and a healthy mind. Yeah. And I love that so many athletes and people, especially I think too with the male population, that stigma of it's you're not tough if you talk about these things really needs to change. And the more athletes and people in high positions that talk about their struggles, it really helps other people to feel that they can reach out to others as well. Rochelle, I'm curious if you can recall an experience where you came to a friend and you were in despair, and instead of them fixing it, they actively listened and held space for you. Yeah. Gosh, it makes me tear up even thinking about it. Of course, I've talked a lot about when my mom passed away and how hard that was for me. And there was somebody who I worked with who would just come and listen every day. My mom was in the hospital for those 46 days And I would show up for work and I was like a zombie and she just listened. And sometimes when I was tearing up, she would tear up with me and it was nothing but that. But I am so grateful for her because there was just a space for me to dump everything and there was nothing she could do to fix it. There was nothing she could do. But I have so much gratitude for her for just being in that space and not judging me and not telling me what I should be doing or not telling me what I should be feeling or she did nothing other than listen. And it's what I needed. That is probably one of the most empathetic acts and probably why I still to this day respect, love and adore that person with very high regards. So yeah, thanks for bringing that moment back. Cindy, how about you? Well, I can think of a time where When my son was in school and really struggling and I was really trying to make some difficult decisions about what to do and it was really hard and I had made a decision on what to do to make some changes and the peanut gallery came out. Everyone had advice for me on what I was doing and if it was right or wrong and it was just a very vulnerable place to be. And then my wonderful friend, Lisa Quinsgard, who's here and I'm going to cry, um, sent me a beautiful card just saying like, that was hard for you. And I recognize that and I care about you. And it was just the most empathetic outpouring and just so appreciated somebody saying like, it's okay. I'm with you and not, you're not alone. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> Cindy, you're going to make me cry. Thank you for remembering that (laughs) and sharing it with all of us. 
So we can see the simple act of empathy and how it can touch our lives, right? And stick with us over the years. And if we can tap into how great that made us feel and how appreciative we are of that person that shared that empathetic gesture, gosh, come on, we can do it. We can do that same gift for others, make this world a better place. There's different ways of being in the world, right? And as Lisa stated, everyone can be an empathy superhero. And that's what we need to be. Yeah. So on that, what takeaways do you have from this conversation? Cindy, what takeaways do you have from this conversation? Well, so there's so many things, but I think we just have to show up every day, realizing that we all have our struggles. We all are dealing with something and to lead with kindness and try to practice empathy as much as possible and not try to fix everyone's problems. I think we definitely are in a society where we want to fix everything and come up with solutions, but sometimes just being there is all that's needed. What about you, Rochelle? Yeah, there's two points and one for me in the start of this conversation, Lisa, you'd said rarely a response makes something better. And I think that that really hit home. And even more so when I'm thinking about the most empathetic act that I'd experienced, it wasn't a response. It wasn't somebody trying to fix something. It was somebody holding space for my grief that shifted, that gave me what I needed. The second thing that I'm walking away with is in the beginning of this conversation, I really was like, oh, I just need to be more empathetic. I just need to be more empathetic and more of an empathy MVP. I need to do better. And I think that yes, and I also can point people towards other resources. And that is an act of love too. That's beautiful. Lisa, what takeaways do you have from this conversation? This has been such a great experience for me. First of all, just making myself vulnerable to be on a podcast, (laughs) but it's also renewed my faith in really sharing this whole idea of empathy and that we all have the power to exercise it with our friends and our loved ones. And it's going to make the world a better place. It really is. Mm -hmm. So thanks so much for having me on here. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh. It's been our pleasure. Amazing. We've loved this conversation. So important to have. And Lisa has a beautiful quote to share to end our podcast today. Lisa? This is one of my favorite quotes. It's by L.R. Nost. And here it goes. Life is amazing. And then it's awful. And then it's amazing again. And in between the amazing and awful, it's ordinary and mundane and routine. Breathe in the amazing. Hold on through the awful and relax and exhale during the ordinary. That's just living, heartbreaking, soul healing, amazing, awful, ordinary life. And it's breathtakingly beautiful. Beautiful. 